And sometimes we sing choruses that are um, repetitive, which is good to to, to sing and, and to praise the Lord with with words that are meaningful and that are true. Uh, sometimes you get a song that really um, you don't get that as much in songs nowadays. Um, in the old songs from uh, like at old hymns and stuff, you really have these rich, deep theological. Uh, verses that are just packed with truth. And as we were singing that last song, I was just thinking about just how, you know, how true that is as we we're singing in Christ alone. You know, that's where everything, everything that, why we gather, everything that we do is as um, those who've committed their lives to follow Christ, you know, it's, it's, it stands on Him as our foundation. And Ephesians chapter 2, it really captures that, um, the difference that He has made in our lives. He's broken down walls in our lives. He's established uh, he's created peace between us and God. And so as we sing, I really want to encourage you to uh, consider what we're seeing. And to think through, what are, what are these words I'm seeing? And reflect on those things. And, and, and even allow God to remind you of things that, that he might have taught you in other times through the scripture. And so um, I'm really glad to be back in here as a, as a church. It's just fun to, we're kind of a church that is on the move and flexible and Sometimes they just say, by the way, you can't meet there next weekend, so you're going to have to meet somewhere else. So we were in a gymnasium, and that was kind of fun. But it was nice to not be in a gym with basketball hoops overhead and stuff. Not that that was bad, but because um, it was fun to play some hoops before we had church in the mornings. But um, but just to be able to be back in here, it's really nice. And so uh, let, let's pray together as we launch into this message. Father, we just, we're so grateful to be here. We're, we're thankful for... Um, just this place where we can meet, Lord. And while it's just a, uh, it's just a building, God, we know that um, church is made up of people, Lord. And uh, we are the church. And Lord, we thank you for, for calling us your very own, Lord. We thank you that you pursued us, Lord. And God, I know there's people here that may not know you. God, I pray that just as you've done in many of our lives, Lord, you've drawn us to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would do that. God, so that you could make a difference, Lord, in, in, in all of our lives, God. We, uh, we invite you to speak to us right now. We just open our, our lives to you. Um, we ask you to speak to our, our heart and the issues that reside within us, God. And we also ask you to challenge our will, Father, so that as we sit here and as we uh, listen to your word and as we hear, hear it taught, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to uh, do something with it because that's what you've given us the scripture for. And so help us, Lord, to be changed through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're uh, two weeks into this new series called Bold Move, and really we're doing this because this is an exciting time for us as a church. We're launching some new things. We're getting ready to launch this second service in two weeks, and as Scott mentioned, um, we're trying to create space. We're trying to make more space so that we have room to grow. We can reach more people in in these cities around us, and so what it is is we're doing two identical services. So one will be at 9, one will be at 10.30. And so um, allows you to pick a service. And so like we uh, asked last week, just wondering if some people would make a, uh, a willing commitment to go to the first service to help us balance things out. We actually had a, a good chunk of people. I think there was, um, I'm blanking, but there was enough to where it's not going to feel empty. And so that's great. Um, some of you might be early risers and that's just going to work more, you know, it's just going to fit your your life and and so, but we're excited about this. This is a scary move for us to, to go to two services. There's a lot of fears, I think, tied up in this for many of us who've only known one gathering. 
and where you can know everyone, where you can see everyone, where you can relate, you know, and probably learn most people's names and faces and all that. So this really does change things, and um, we're trying to shift some different things. We're printing advertising, we're printing new signs, we're um, all, the, all of our volunteers, we have like 100 people that volunteer right now, and we need more volunteers, but of those 100 volunteers, people are making the adjustments to be able to accommodate two services, and it means more service in a lot of cases, more sacrifice, and so we appreciate and just want to thank you if you're planning to do that. We really appreciate you helping us make that transition. Um, the guys that are pulling the trailer, just different guys, you know, getting up earlier since we have an earlier service. Um, I've heard there's rumors of Krispy Kreme donuts coming for at least for a little while. I don't know how long that'll last because they're out in Ontario. But someone has offered to make the drive to Krispy Kreme so we can have a little better donut experience. And so uh, <laughs> it's going to be tough because it's like one of those things where you can only, you know, you can't just eat one. It's like you want to eat six, at least me. So I used to do that on the way on the way to the beach, go surfing, pick up Krispy Kremes on the way. I'm going on a tangent, but. And I would eat a handful of these hot Krispy Kremes, and then after, you know, beach, finish up the box. So it was just a good thing. So We're probably going to have to order a lot more donuts. So, But of all these changes that we're doing, there's questions that circle in, in my mind, at least. Um, does this really make sense is one of the questions. Does this make sense? Is this a good idea? Have we thought through all the implications of this change? Like, are we really ready to do this? What's our backup plan? Like, what if this doesn't go? Like, what, what then? Do we reprint signs? Do we, we go back to one? Do we... So, we're in this series really looking at what this is going to take um, as a church. We're looking at bold moves. A bold move is this, and you'll see this on your outline. You can follow along if you have a copy of the listening guide. A bold move is a courageous, high-risk plan that God might use in a major way. He might use this move that we're doing in a major way to advance his kingdom, to help us reach more people. Um, we have many that, that are, are part of our church that are pursuing, investigating a relationship with Christ. You might be here and you're, you're, just, you're in the process of coming to know him. You've not yet decided to yield your life to him. And we're, we're excited that you're a part of our church. We're excited that you're investigating and plugging in and learning more about him. And so, but we want to make more room for, for more people. Um, but any time you take a bold move, there's risk involved. Okay? Any time we step out, there's risk involved in faith steps. And as a church, we've taken some bold moves in the past, but here we are again, ready to take probably our largest up to date. And last week we looked in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we looked at the stories of some people who were um, kind of heroes of our faith, you might call them. And Hebrews chapter 11 is really a pep talk to a group of Christians who are considering abandoning this new found faith in Christ and turning back to an old way of living, an old way of doing life. They were considering this getting pretty hard. There's a lot of pressure on them as a, new ch- as a church, as Christ followers. So there was pressure to, to just go back to what was safe and to live life you know, with what they knew, which was Old Testament practices, laws, ways of living. And the writer of Hebrews comes and he, he, he connects the book of Hebrews connects the Old Testament to Christ. You understand the connection and how Christ fulfilled Old Testament promises and He was the fulfillment of the laws. There was this... God was doing things <clears throat> through Christ coming to the earth. He was fulfilling some things through Christ, through what Christ did. And so Hebrews, the book, addresses that. Chapter 11 is like the pep talk in the middle of a, a basketball game where the coach just cheers you on. It's like, you know, we can get out there. We can do it. Don't give up, you know. 
You're losing the battle, but we we got to come back. This is what is happening in Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11 sums up a bunch of faithful men and and women who who are heroes that we're to look at and to be motivated to keep going, to not give up, hang in there. So today I want to highlight another hero. His name is Joshua, which has my name. My parents named me after this character in the Bible. And he was the leader of the Israelite army. Joshua took over the leadership reins. He took over the leadership control from, from Moses, God's man, who God used to deliver his people from captivity in Egypt. You know the story. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And there was over, you know, there's millions of them there. There's a couple million of them there. And Moses delivers them. God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out from under the Egyptian oppression. And so the Pharaoh there didn't want to let them go. You may have seen Prince of Egypt, or maybe you're familiar with the story, but Pharaoh didn't want to let them go, so God sends ten different plagues upon the land and the people of Egypt. And Moses goes and he warns the Pharaoh each time, here's what's going to happen. And then he says, you're not going anywhere. I'm not going to let your people go. I'm not going to... God sends a plague, and over time, these plagues begin to come, and the last plague... Pharaoh finally releases the people of Israel. So they're free to go and worship God. So they leave. And here's a picture. This is a painting. I don't know if you can see it. But this is kind of a, a rendering of, of the, the Israelites beginning their exodus out of Egypt and, into, and towards the Promised Land. They're about to go into the wilderness, but they're leaving you know, massive group of people that were enslaved there. They're set free. Moses leads them out of Egypt in the next slide shows a map, and you might see, if you can see where Egypt is, and <clears throat> they head down, if you see where that land of Goshen, they start kind of in that area, and they head south, you follow the red lines, eventually they're going to wind up on the other end of the map, heading into the promised land, but they, they wander for 40 years, and in the very beginning of their journey, when they head south from 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 where they were in Egypt, they head south, they come to the Red Sea. You see where the, the arrow kind of hits the Red Sea and the very kind of the top. They're heading out and Pharaoh has a change of heart. He decides to send his armies after the people of Israel. And the Egyptians were really closing in on them and the Red Sea stood before, you know, kind of was, was blocking them from advancing. And so if you know the story, right when they were coming to the Red Sea, this, this monumental act of God, God parts the waters... The Israelites were able to walk through on dry ground and escape the pursuers, you know, their pursuers who were swept up. They, they were, the Israelites were all protected. The entire group was led through on dry ground. And for everyone that saw God work, it was just this amazing faith experience. They got to experience the power of God, the presence of God. There was, this was a huge faith-building moment for them. And, but as time went on, they're wandering through the desert and they're starting to grumble about this promised land that God had said He'd promised to give them. They're complaining to their leaders. They're just complaining. This isn't going to happen. So because of unbelief, God allowed them to wander through the desert. And that generation who were, who were complainers, He allowed them to die. He said, you're not going to advance into the promised land. You're going to die in the desert. Your children, the next generation, those people born in those 40 years, would inherit the land. And God, He kept His promise, but it wasn't to them. It was to the next generation. Only Joshua and Caleb. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. And Caleb, another one, they were the only men from the first generation who were, they were told, were able to advance into the promised land to experience this inheritance, this, this promise that God had made. 
In Hebrews 11, we read this. This is the high point of Joshua's story. And then I want to look at the Old Testament to kind of see. But he gives us one verse in Hebrews 11. This is the, from the faith chapter. It says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. God was doing something. Joshua led the people to this battle at Jericho. And it just simply says in this chapter, after the people had marched around them for seven days, you know, the walls fall, fell down. This was the first city that the Israelites conquered in, in the Promised Land. And God's people were very, very careful to obey what God had said. Before we really look at the Battle of Jericho, I want to back up a little bit and see what happened leading up to the Battle of Jericho because I think it's in those significant moments that God still speaks to us about moves we make, faith steps that we take in life, and and what that takes to really trust Him. So let's see, Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to give you snippets of the book of Joshua until we get to the battle and then some things after that as well. So in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, just as I had promised Moses. So he's, he's saying, look, you're going to, you're going to now lead these people into the promised land. You're going to cross over the Jordan River, okay? Another river, or another water crossing. And he's saying, I'm about to give you this land, the land that I'd promised. The chapter goes on, he begins to explain the territory. And then Joshua shares the story. He shares the plan. This is what God said. We're going to go through the Jordan River. We're going to take this land. He tells the people of Israel... And this is their response in verse 16. It says, Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you have sent us, we will go. Pretty responsive group. I mean, as a leader, that's, that's the, the response you're really hoping for. Everyone's like, we're ready, let's charge. You just you yell and we'll, we'll follow. They're expressing their commitment. They're expressing their loyalty. And God is just about to test this right here. I want to see, watch how He tests this. Because He says, look, we'll do whatever you ask. We'll go wherever you go. Verse 17, Just as we have fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. They heard the stories and so they knew God was with Moses. And so, in chapter 1, they're basically giving, given the plan. Chapter 2, they spy out the land. They go into Jericho. They send spies across to see what this new land is like. It's a fortified city. And... They get into the city. God protects them. Somebody hides them. And um, they, they learn that the people there are shaken because they hear that the Israelites are coming. And that the God who the Israelites serve delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, parted the Red Sea for them, allowed them to defeat some other kings. And so they were, the people in Jericho were afraid. They caught wind of what was about to happen and they were afraid. And so these two spies, they go back and they report to Joshua they're shaken. They're afraid. They've heard about our God and what He can do. And so the first obstacle they come to is the Jordan River. Okay, The Jordan River, the problem was, this was springtime and the nearby mountain snow had melted and so the Jordan River was flowing much higher than it would any other time of year. So the Jordan River in a normal time of the year might be three to four feet and so a group of a couple million people could technically walk through 
you have babies, you carry your babies across the Jordan River. But this was a different time. The scripture says this was the river was at flood stage. And so this was not an easy issue to get all these people across into this land. This was really the first test. So let's read what happened. Chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. It says this. It's up on the screen as well. It says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark was, was what contained the power and the presence of God. <clears throat> they went ahead of them. So the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 15, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from the upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan Wall. All Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Just, again, an amazing experience. God, He stopped the waters upstream. Because this group of people could not have crossed. They might have been able to swim it, but imagine too many people trying to swim across a river, a swift river that's flooding. It's really impossible. And so God stops the, the water upstream and allows them to walk across dry ground. And it says after the two million cross, basically everyone gets across. You skip ahead to Joshua 4, verse 15 through 18. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony. The, the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan. Basically, God's presence there you know, stopped the flow of the water. And so the priests waited till everybody got across safely. And God says, Command the priests now to, who are carrying to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage just as before. This is really significant. Why did God do a miracle for this new generation of, of Israelites almost identical to what he'd done 40 years before at the Red Sea? It's like almost the same experience. God parts these, you know, God stops the water, they, they get across, they're able to advance. In fact, the Red Sea parting, you would think that God would do something different because the Red Sea parting was probably a story that they all knew. It's kind of like when I share stories with my sons and it's the same stories I share because that's all I got. And uh, they're like, and my oldest son, I know, Dad, I know. <laughs> I've heard that one. And uh, stories about my past, stories about sports, stories about this and that. And not that it was that spectacular, but to me, you know, I know, Dad. And you can imagine that the people who who were crossing had had those memories of their fathers and grandfathers sharing these stories of what God did with the Red Sea. We know, we've heard the story before, everyone's living on the Red Sea story. And what God does here is He gives them their very own faith experience. They're able, a new generation is able to experience the power and the presence of God for themselves. Because that's important to us. We all need to experience what God can do in our own lives. We don't want to borrow off the faith of other people for our, for our faith journey, God wants us to experience Him for ourselves. He wants us to have our own situations where we see God come through and He builds our faith. So God was teaching this new generation some very important faith lessons. Because you can imagine what was happening was as the, as the last group 
of the priest, or as the priest came out of the water, it says, at that moment, the water began to flow, and what that represented was, they're stuck. You cannot go back. This was a significant moment because there was no turning back. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. With some bold move, God, with some bold moves, God allows a plan B. You know? If this doesn't work, we can all get in boats and paddle back. No, that wasn't really a possibility. Sometimes He doesn't do that. Sometimes there is no plan B. That's what it's saying here. As soon as they set their foot on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage just as before. You can imagine them seeing the God stop the water upstream and then everything head back to normal and they're like, this is great, we just saw God do this and then, uh-oh, we're stuck. We can't go back. We're stuck. We're in this. There's no backup plan. There was no contingency plan. God was saying, this is such a significant moment that if I don't come through, you're going to die. You're not going to make it. There is, this is it. It's battle because there's enemies to the north, to the south, and to the west of them, so they're pretty much in for it. They've got to advance. God often uses another thing. God often uses points of no return to establish our own faith. This is what he's doing here. He's establishing their faith so they can see him come through. He'd just given them their very own faith experience. They actually set up a memorial there to mark what God had done so they could tell their children what God had done in their lives. And God wants to do that. He wants to create these experiences that we can share. Then he wants to give us experiences of our own where we see him come through here at OCC. So we're making this major shift and we're moving to these two, spa- these two different services. And depending on when you came to our church, it's likely that you've heard stories about how we started and where we've worshipped in different places up to this point. And it's like, yeah, I've heard that. Okay. I've heard that. The great opportunity we have here is God is wanting to do something right now in our lives and as in the life of our church collectively as we pull together. Um, this is something for all of us to experience together. And we, we really would love for you to be a part of that. We want this to be a faith-building season for your life. Um, let's move back to Joshua. Joshua, he moves on, and Joshua gives the game plan for how to defeat, or God gives Joshua the game plan for how to defeat the people in Jericho, this fortified city. And God tells him this plan. It's in Joshua 6, verses 1 through 5, and it says this, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. This is the plan. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Then have the seven priests carry carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the walls of the city will collapse and the people will go up and every man straight in. Try to imagine. Joshua's a new leader. He tells the people the plan. He's like, okay, guys, here's the plan. Everybody quiet. Joshua's going to tell us the plan. Here's the plan, everybody. We're just going to march around the city once a day. And they're like, okay, we get it. You know, that's great. Intimidation, right? You know, we're... Show of force. We're just marching around the city. We're looking up. We're staring them down. And they know we're on. They know we're coming. We're doing this eye factor, intimidation. Everybody's, we get it, Joshua. This is great. This fits the plan. Then he says on the seventh day, everybody listen, on the seventh day, 
We're going to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets at the end. We're going to let out, they're going to let out a long blast. As soon as they do, everyone's going to shout and the walls are going to fall down. They're like, come again? How, how are we going to, where, where's the swords fit into this, Joshua? Where, where do we get, you know, where do we get to fight? When, this doesn't make any sense. And here's another lesson for us. Be prepared that in faith moves, much will make sense, but some may not. <laughs> and this is what they got to experience. This just didn't make a lot of sense. This sounded like a ridiculous plan. When God asks us to risk it all, will we be the kind of people in our own lives when he says, I want you to take some steps in faith to serve, to be a part of something, to, to give, to, to come alongside people. Will you do that if it doesn't make much sense? If there's not a backup contingency plan? See, some churches will not move forward unless there's a backup plan, unless there's a contingency plan. What kind of church will we be? I think that's a question we've got to ask. What kind of church are we wanting to be? Do we want to be a church that responds in faith and says, yes, God, we will do, we will go where you say to go. We will, just like we sang, you know, we'll respond to you, God. We'll, we'll watch and see what you're doing. It may not make sense to us. The people of Israel, they took the risk. They took the high-risk move. Look at what happens. Chapter 6, verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. There's no fighting. Just the walls collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. Here's a picture of this. I don't know if you can see it, but another rendering. This fortified city collapses, and you kind of see the Ark of the Covenant and the people in the middle, they're, they're following orders from the Lord. God kept His promise, and Jericho was theirs. Here's another picture of ancient Jericho, kind of uninhabited, being excavated, that middle mound right there. And uh, it's an amazing story of what God did. He had a plan. didn't make a lot of sense to people, but they responded in faith, and He delivered they were given clear instructions. Don't take any of the gold and silver for yourselves. He said, take all this stuff to be devoted to the Lord. Burn everything up, but devote these things to the Lord. There was one man, though, who decided that he saw some stuff. And he thought, nobody's going to notice. So he takes some of the devoted things, some of the silver and gold. He takes it with him and he hides it under his tent. Because he's thinking, I've got to make sure I'm taken care of. You know, I know God's done this amazing thing, but... What about me and my family? What about So he takes some things, he hides it under his tent. They move on as a group to take on the next to take on the next place, which is called Ai. They send a, a team to spy out the land of Ai, and they, they look at the land, they say, We're only going to need two to three thousand people. They come back, report that to Joshua. So Joshua sends in these two to two to three thousand people, and they get spanked. The Israelites lose the battle, they get defeated, people die. Joshua hears the news and he tears his clothes and he's broken up over this whole thing. And it says this in chapter 7, moving on, chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, it says, And Joshua, he cries out to the Lord. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites... And the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then he asks this question, really a challenge. What then will you do 
for your own great name. It's a pretty bold statement (laughs) to make of the Lord. The Lord corrects him here. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you what are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions because God knew that this one man hid some stuff under his tent. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Point here is this if God blesses us, if we advance, it's easy to become self sufficient. That's really the final point there. It's easy to just, if He blesses us, it's easy to become self sufficient. To begin to trust in ourselves, to do things our way, to take a little back for ourselves, to make sure we've got some provided for us, and to, and, and to not trust Him and to stay dependent on Him. This man Achan, he decided to do that. He, he blew past God's boundaries but we can do this as we if god blesses us as a church we can lose our dependency once things start moving in our direction we we can't let that happen we tend here's some other thoughts we tend not to trust in the small things we'll trust you for the big moves and the major faith battles but we we want to shave sometimes in the little things in life god wants us to trust him in the small things another thing we need to stay dependent on him at all times we need to stay close to Him. What kind of church do we want to be? A church that only moves forward if there's a plan B, a backup plan, or a church that takes bold moves of faith saying, God, we'll keep our eyes on you. It may not make sense, but we'll trust you. We want to see what you do in our lives and the lives of people in our community. I'm going to ask Cody to come up here. and In just a few minutes, uh, we'll be receiving our offering. Our ushers will come through. And that gives us an opportunity to express another act of worship is giving. And it's an expression of our hearts. And, and as, we, as we give back to God, I'd encourage you to, whether it's here or whether you give, a lot of people give to our church online and through the mail, and so that you would use that each, each week or each time you give as a way to just express, God, I love you. You're first place in my life. This is a, this is a, this is a percentage that represents the whole thing for me. But also, I would ask you to consider taking one of the next steps on the back of your connection card and um, consider taking one of these things. First, though, um, maybe you can really identify with the Israelites who were living off the faith of their, of their grandparents or their parents, who heard these faith stories about the past, but you've never really experienced God in your own life. You're, you're maybe drafting in on the faith journey of someone else. And, uh, but you've never really had that encounter with God on your, on your own. And so um, what I would encourage you, just as God made himself, himself, made himself real to those people in that generation, that you would be open to that in your own life, that you would say, God, I, I never really have experienced you. My parents have, my friends have, my husband or wife has, but I never have. And I, I would like to know more about that. On the back of our card... There's a box that says, you know, I'd like to learn more about a relationship with Christ. I'd encourage you to check that and let us know. We'd love to just give you some information. If you'd like to have a conversation about that, at your own pace, we'd love to be able to help you connect with God and commit your life to Him as a Christian. So here's the next steps that are on the back of that card. The first one is set my heart to rely on God to keep His promises despite what I can see. Secondly, maybe identify an area where I tend to trust in myself and just commit that to the Lord. 
there are those things when God blesses us, we tend to we tend to hold some things back and begin to trust in ourselves. Maybe there's something that God is saying, I need you to turn this back over to me again. The third thing is, we really would love it if you would take this commitment and pray each day this week for our upcoming second service launch. This is a big move for us, and we, we really need everyone praying, praying for the direction, praying for the little steps that we take, the small things that we wouldn't miss anything, miss anybody. And I'd like to pray that as we advance as a church, that we would stay dependent on Him. So let's, let's pray that together. Join me in prayer. Father, 